Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Everything about it, I remember, and I know what I was wearing. I know what my husband was wearing. I know what my plans were for that day. And um, you don't, you don't forget it. That Sunday in church, I lost it. I lost it because it just kept coming back up, you know, coming back up. Joy Kelly will never be able to get the morning of May 6th, 1988, out of her mind. It was horrible, and it was right before Mother's Day, and I had to go to work the next day. I worked at a furniture company, and on the way home, I literally was almost freaking out, thinking that every single car that was going to pass me was someone that wanted to kill me. So you think about that, and for years, every time you close your eyes, you see that raising up in front of you. And it was just a horrible feeling. I mean, that's somebody's mother, son, I mean, uh, daughter, cousin, friend, you know, or their child. More than 30 years later, she's sitting just four miles from where she uncovered something she still just can't shake from her memory, especially as she drives past that grassy spot in rural Kentucky. I think of it every time. Every single time. I don't think, unless it's uh, uh, Christmas and I'm going to an event that I'm excited about, I pretty much pass it and think about it every single time. She takes us back to that rolling countryside and what they found more than 30 years ago. It's all just as vivid as it was that warm spring morning. My husband had gotten up and I was already up. He said something about going to the horse races. So he was going to Corinth to get a newspaper to see what was running, see if he knew any of the people. He came back after maybe 10 minutes and said, there are some buzzards down in the curve close to Teddy's, and I think one of Teddy's goats has gotten hit. And he had white, pure white goats. He uh, said, come with me and see if it is, because I won't go to Teddy's and because of his dogs. And he was an older man that lived in the area, and he said, you can let him know. So as we got close up into the curve, the reason I don't think that it was discovered before it was is when you go into the curve, you're turning and making sure no one's going to hit you coming from the other way because it is a little bit of a turn. So it was backward. And at that time, there was a small grove of trees that it would have been hidden from. So as he went around, the buzzards flew up and that's why he looked backward and could see something white laying there. So as I got closer, I said, I don't think it's a goat. I believe that it's one, a a person. I said, it looks like a body. And he can't be. And so I think I just stood there for a little bit and kind of looked and I said, I believe it is. And you couldn't smell anything, but um, it was sparse as far as the grass and things because it had been abnormally hot. So the grass was just burning up. The hay and stuff was burning up. Standing just off of the highway, they call the Kentucky State Police. 
they said, how do you know it's a dead body? And I said, because we, we looked at it, you know, and you could tell what it was. And they wanted to know if it was male or female. And as I told them, the face was missing and hair back to probably here. And then you couldn't see anything as far as the genitals, which I'm sure it had been, you know, picked out a little bit. And you couldn't tell if it had breasts or if there were any other identifying marks because of the way that it was swollen. So um, I told them I, I wasn't sure it could be a small man with long hair or it could have been a female. The body is mutilated and is starting to decompose under the hot Kentucky sun. It's missing an arm, hand, and has no face. Joy remembers how the body was laying very straight and the grass wasn't pushed down like an animal had dragged the body to its final resting location. Joy says police tell her that this body is also missing its teeth. You don't know if somebody left them somewhere or if they were removed to prevent identification. And one thing that that I had mentioned to the detective that I don't think was in the full newspaper article was that they believed that her neck was crushed with like the weight of, of a car falling on it. So it was very, very damaged. But again, you couldn't tell as far as the face, it just looked like, um, I don't I don't want to say animals had gotten a hold of it because it really didn't look like that. It looked like somebody had just been beaten badly, beaten very badly. The thing I remember most, and I mentioned to the detective, wearing nothing but men's socks, and they were pulled up perfectly, uh, brown socks, just perfectly done. But it turns out the body is a woman, and she's wearing only men's dress socks. There is a photo of her feet still in these dress socks that was put into the evidence folder. They're dark dress socks. They are pulled up her calves. And that was the only thing that she was wearing. Then, as the investigation started, detectives actually found the rest of her clothes just down the highway in a little ditch, not too far away. Shay McAllister, an investigative reporter at WHAS in Louisville, tells us about Jane. Shay featured this case on her cold case series, Unsolved. That has always stuck out in this case. Just the fact that she was only wearing men's dress socks and the rest of her clothing was down somewhere else. When we asked detectives about it, they said what looked obvious to them is that someone dumped her body where they did and then they drove down the highway and remembered or noticed that they had the clothes in the vehicle and went ahead and threw those out too. But who is she? For now, she's simply called Jane Doe. And those socks, there's just something about them. They have stuck with Joy all these years, specifically their color. It wasn't a camel color, it, but they had a copper tint to them. And I mean, that's what was so weird back then. Think 30 years ago, you had tube socks or you had black, black dress socks, or maybe navy. Very few people had brown socks. Maybe that particular color could be a clue into who Jane was. If I put that kind of socks on, it would maybe, to me, lead people to believe that I didn't have any other choice. I believe that that person may have hitched a ride with someone from the lower part of Kentucky or Indiana, the Louisville Exchange, close to uh, Richwood and then picked up. I always suspected that, that the person was of, of lower income only because of the situation. If it had been someone that was of a better income, 
then more than likely they had family, they had people that would miss them, and it would have been investigated further. I mean, you look at like the, what, Natalie Holloway, I don't think there's a person around who has not heard that name, or even, uh, what's her, Crystal Rogers, you know, you've got a family, somebody's missing you, so if that person was just a runaway or nobody cared if they were found or not, I think that's the reason. Investigators determine that Jane Doe is likely white with dark brown or black hair. She's 120 pounds and approximately five feet tall. Over time, police have been able to create a face for Jane. In fact, they've released a number of composites of what she might look like. Police have had composites of Jane Doe since the beginning, but the first composite was made using her skull. They actually put clay over her skull to try to create a face that would have or could have been hers, and then based off of the hair that was found, what her hair could have looked like, they took pictures of that as her original composite. Then a few years later, a sketch artist was able to come in and kind of redefine that a little bit, try to come up with something that looked a little bit more like a real person and not a face made out of clay. In 1988, investigators didn't have much to go on to ID Jane, but her body does hold a few key clues. Police wanted to find out what they could about her. And though one of her hands was missing, they did have the other one. So they gathered her fingerprints. They thought that she was likely strangled and they were guessing her age was anywhere between 25 and 40. There was a few other things that stood out. She had a homemade tattoo that read Steve carved into her shoulder. And police said that they believed that she was a mother because of the way that her bones were laid out around her hips. One of the complexities of this case is that this is a small community. Everyone pretty much knows everyone, but no one knows Jane. There was a truck stop near the highway that sometimes would have some unfamiliar faces come and go. For the most part, everybody was familiar with who was in their town. So for no one to be able to recognize this woman or have any idea who she was or where she was was a really big deal. And it was a big deal for police, too. So maybe she's not from Corinth, but perhaps this woman came to town by way of that local truck stop. From the very beginning, there was witnesses saying that they had seen a woman who looked like her in that truck stop in the days before the body was discovered. And none of those accounts were ever verified. No one can say for sure if Jane Doe had ever been in the truck stop or spent any time alive in that town at all. But we do know that there was no one reported missing that matched her description in the area. And back in the late 80s, a lot of missing persons reports traveled in the same region, but not too far out of that. And that was the case with Jane Doe. Joy grew up in the area and remembers what the truck stop was like in 1988 and the issues that the community had with truckers coming in from out of town looking for trouble. We did have a problem with them coming off the interstate and, I mean, trolling young girls. I mean, that's exactly what they were doing. Um, had um, three truck drivers bundle up one night. I worked at that time at the Gap, uh, the big warehouse, and I didn't get off till like 2.30 in the morning if we worked overtime. But they had pulled me 
the one in front, one behind, and over to the side right before the Louisville Exchange and scooted me off the road in my truck. They had gotten me off, and my dad had gotten me a little uh, pistol. And so when they got up to the window, I just pointed the barrel out the window and said, you better back up, because I will use it. I, I'm farm girl. I'll put you down right now. And they were just, we want to talk. We want to talk. So we did have a problem with some of that stuff like that. And as we had talked about, them coming in, turning around, throwing a body out back toward the interstate, going back toward the interstate. Yes, I think that's a very plausible scenario. But she never sees anything suspicious at the truck stop diner her family frequented when she was younger. It's sometimes in the summertime when we were in the back and stuff, we'd out there eat out there probably five times a week. I mean, that was just the place that you went to because, one, we had nowhere else to go. And two, if you didn't want to cook that night, that's where you were going. So, but no, never saw anybody ever come in with young girls and leave anybody, never. Then, in the middle of the investigation into Jane Doe's death, another tragedy strikes in 1988, taking the focus off finding out who Jane is. Less than an hour away from where that body was found, there was a horrific bus crash the deadliest drunk driving collision in United States history. It killed 27 people, and it put Jane Doe's case on the back burner for a while because that investigation was so huge. The case goes cold, but it doesn't stay dormant forever. Fast forward 30 years, and while the small community is the same in many ways, the landscape, and more specifically, the crime scene itself, has vastly changed. You know, so many decades later, now there's a house built on this property and there's a driveway right nearby. I mean, who threw her clothes out? Who dumped her body? And that's what Kentucky State Police Detective Andre Samu hopes to figure out. He wanted to go and see it and he compared old photos and he had a drone go up to see, you know, how has the landscape changed and what does it look like from up there? He wanted to measure the distance between where Jane Doe's body was found and where her clothes were found, which was not too far, but just down the highway in a little ditch right off the road. But before he can determine who did this to Jane, Detective Samuel has to figure out who Jane is. You don't know who this person is. You don't know where they came from. You don't know what they're all about. You really just don't know anything about them. And your job as a detective or investigator is to find out what they are, who they are, where they came from, how they succumbed to their passing, figure out what led up to this. Maybe that might help identify. Uh, Use all resources possible to say, okay, here's this DNA or here's this piece of evidence. Try to put things together and make it all happen, get it. And then result, her body was off the roadway a little bit. Uh, I'm going to say a distance of about 20 yards, maybe. Um, could it have been that because of the way the, the crime scene looked back in the day, that it could have been a result of going out and making out somewhere and somebody got upset and said, you know what, you upset me, I'm going to kill you. It could be that. It could be that they were somewhere else, something happened and killed the person and took him out there because it's such a remote location that they dumped the body. So at this point, we don't know what the, what the real cause or how the situation happened for the body to end up there. It's just there. The coroner at that time believed Jane had been strangled and was dumped five to ten days before Joy found her body. 
But Detective Samyu says that's really just an estimate. When that time of the year, things are starting to get warmer, the human body doesn't take long to start to decompose. And of course, there's always wild animals in the area back in the day. So not to be gross about it, but you know, it, it is a natural thing that's going to happen. And so there was um, uh, a cause by these wild animals that affected the body, uh, plus the decomposition of the body. But in 2018, three pieces of evidence would lead the investigation in a new direction. DNA, a fingerprint, and her tattoo. They found hair fragments in the areas and such, and uh, parts of the body was missing. The left arm from the elbow down was gone. Uh, The right hand still existed, but there was um, certain portions of the fingers that were still intact that we were able to get a fingerprint and such. So that starts the process of gathering evidence to say, what do I have to identify this person? Even having some key evidence from back then poses new challenges for the investigation today. A fingerprint is one thing, but then identify how the system works back in the day. Well, back in the day, APHIS only had avenues to um, identify fingerprints within the state of Kentucky. So now you have to take fingerprints outside of Kentucky. Well, how do you do that? Well, then you go through that process. And then when you identify just a single fingerprint is, do you have a fingerprint on file? Did this person create with themselves a criminal offense where they was arrested before? Uh, And then you track down, have they been arrested before? Well, that gets to no problem is, how do you find a fingerprint on somebody that you don't know who this is? So you go from there and try to figure that out. Or dental records. Um, Are there any dental records? In this particular case, this person did not have any teeth. No false teeth, no real teeth, just no teeth. So you, you can't go with dental records. And while they didn't test for DNA when Jane was found, a piece of her hair today becomes a vital piece to this puzzle for the police. An animal had come along and, of course, like I said, the body was decaying and was biting off chunks of hair, and the hair samples was located within close proximity of the body. So the coroner picked up the hair samples and put it in an envelope and saved it. This is before DNA came along. Now we have a full head of hair uh, that we can take and see if there's any DNA products off of it. Obviously, DNA is collected from the hair roots, and we have all that, so let's see where that takes us to. He sends her hair to the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, but DNA testing takes time. In the meantime, though, another major clue in the investigation is a homemade tattoo etched into Jane's skin on her right shoulder. Detective Samu has a photo of the tattoo. The ink is just the name Steve. There's a lot of people with tattoos, especially nowadays. And so um, the intel analyst uses their resources to say, okay, this individual came forward and said, my sister, for example, had a tattoo, Steve. All right, what's your sister's name? So we get all the information about the sister. And then I give it to the intel analyst, and he turns around and says, well, I found out that this sister was missing back in the day, but she's now buried at such such a location. And he confirms all that. So now that information has now been resolved, and we don't have to pursue that anymore. Go with another tip. And we received... I'm going to say like three or four tips like that, that we looked through. Um, And he did a great job on pursuing those avenues and said, nope, that's not the person. One clue into her life before she was found dead 
is that she was likely a mother, and maybe her children are looking for her. Even that, to say that they're a mom, was, was her children put up for adoption? Did she have a lifestyle that she couldn't keep the children? Um, are the children alive today? We don't know. Something could have happened to them, even their own infancy and their own issues, their own demise. We don't know. So the children might not even know that this is their mom. So how do you, how do you make that leap? How do you make that connection? All we know is that medical examination of the body identified that she was a mother at one time to somebody. Whose mother was she? Whose daughter? Sister? Maybe wife? It's those questions that linger in this case. Aside from the evidence, Detective Samu is looking at that truck stop as a potential key to unlocking her identity. There was, there was a lot. There was, they sent out, um, they tried to find similar cases, for example, a pattern to say, okay, we have this body that was located near a truck stop. That's your first clue. How many other cases do you have to where there are bodies located in or around truck stops? Uh, there's cases right now, in particular along the eastern coast, I-95. There was a trucker from the New England area that was traveling back and forth between New England down to Florida. And there's all kinds of dead bodies associated with truckers. You know, is that what we have here? Could be. Are we going to limit it to that? No. Um, truckers travel all over. Could it be that um, somebody picked up somebody along the road, um, had an encounter, and then discarded the body? You don't know. It could be somebody local. Without a missing person from the community, the difficulties are extensive for the detective. So he asked the question, how did she get here? Obviously, we know that she was strangled. So she was associated with somebody. Well, that person's not coming forward. Again, who is that person? Is that a trucker that just said, okay, I don't want you anymore. Strangle you, throw you out the truck. Or is it could be, again, um, people that recently moved here. Nobody knows anybody. And uh, a relationship of some sorts that just said, I'm done with you. Kill you and you're gone. And that person may have only lived here for a short time and moved on. Or it could be somebody that's local, has lived here forever, that may be identified, maybe not identified, but you get gather information. Is there somebody local? Maybe. Can we prove it yet? Nope. Can we prove anything else? Nope. Joy can't imagine that Jane's killer could be someone local to her tight-knit community. I can't think of anybody that that has that kind of a reputation or even that I knew about. And I mean, I knew a lot of people. My dad owned a restaurant um, right before that time period in Corinth. And so I knew everybody. I grew up, you know, with these people. And an outsider coming into town undetected is hard to fathom too. For someone to just show up like that, we, we would have known. You know, I mean, and again, you're right on the interstate. So you do have people to get off the interstate, get their gas or uh, motorcycle riders will get off and they'll say, what's the best route? We're just heading north, you know, going toward Pennsylvania. And you'd say, oh, well, you don't want to miss this. You're going to go down through here and we'll send them through Oynton or up toward, you know, Louisville, but back roads along the river or something. But again, you've got a group of people. Very seldom do you see one single solitary person that's out by themselves and never a female. I mean, you just don't, unless they're out traveling for business, you're not gonna see that many women out by themselves in this area. And back then, you just wouldn't. You just wouldn't. It would have been, it would have been noticed. The more Detective Samu digs in, 
the more the unknowns of the case put a strain on him. It's frustrating because there's been a lot of times even currently that we thought we had the person identified and come to find out again because of other associating people working on this case that you, you go down this path, this rabbit hole, if you will, and come up empty-handed. And it's frustrating as all get out. You know that this person had family somewhere. We don't even know who the family is. Um, the family doesn't know that we're looking for them. Uh, those are the things you look at. So it takes um, people to work together to bring an end result. And all it takes is maybe one little piece, and it's finding that one little piece that might resolve this thing. Joy's waited a lifetime to find out who the stranger wearing only men's socks she discovered in that field is. And more importantly for Joy, having answers for Jane's family. I don't think I worry about the part as far as finding out who did it, but I think that there's a family somewhere that needs it resolved. And that would mean a lot to me because if it was someone that I knew, I would want that closure. And a lot of times I don't think people think they're going to find all of the answers and they're okay with that. But if they could at least find out what happened to that person rather than just wondering, that makes the, that makes the difference. Today, there's a new investigator on the case. And last month, there was a break in the case in the search for Jane's identity, including a new composite sketch that could finally put a name to her face. There is now a new belief that Jane Doe has ties to Columbus, Ohio, or Miami, Florida. And this, of course, is so important because it broadens the search for relatives and more information. And it makes them look outside of this area, which... There was always the belief that she wasn't from here, but when, the, you know, that, that leaves everywhere else in the world, that's a tough start. So now detectives have this information where they can actually go to those places and alert people in those areas to try to see if her composite looks familiar. The same time that we found out about the possible ties to two new cities, they released an even more updated composite of what she would have looked like at the time of her death. And they said they did that using new technology that wasn't available back when they were doing the old composites. But for now, more than 30 years later, no answers, no name for Jane Doe, and no suspect. It could be a male, it could be a female, whether it's family members or just uh, a schoolmate. Uh, it could be somebody from a long lost neighborhood somewhere along the line that even if they have a hint to think who this person is, please come forward, let us know. We'll check it out. We'll verify everything because, again, the best resources we have is the public to come forward and give us this information. Hi, this is Spencer Brudig. I'm here with Will Johnson and Jessica Knoll. The thing that immediately is striking to me about this case is the fact that it really does seem like Jane Doe's identity was physically removed from her, where they cut off her hand, uh, they removed her teeth, she had no identifying clothing on. This case does not strike me personally as a random um, attack. It, I feel like the perpetrator of this murder must have known her. All that is true, except they did leave one hand, and they also left that identifying tattoo with the name Steve. And the fact that it was a homemade tattoo uh, could lead to who she was. 
also. Jessica, I know Shay McAllister at WHAS in Louisville helped you with this story. Uh, she actually does a series of these, right, unsolved type cases where they're looking into cases that need help from maybe the public or someone who might know something. Yeah, she does several unsolved stories every year for WHAS in Louisville. And this was one of those cold cases that she covered uh, back in 2018. And when they aired the first story, um, a lot of tips did come in. And so since then, they have a new detective. There's a new composite. And if you go to whas.com, you'll be able to read uh, their original story as well as our updated True Crime Chronicles story and see that composite and see if you know who this Jane Doe is. All right, Spencer, thanks for bringing us this story this week. Jessica, thanks for your background and research on it as well. And we'll be back next week with a new case and a new story.